following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I am really glad to be back. So summers are weird times for everyone. I know some of us who have not been home the whole month of July. Well, I've been kind of one of those people. Um, We are so excited to be back. Uh, I have missed you. I want to thank you, thank our elders for giving me the privilege. A better way to put that is sending me on um, a study break each year. And I'm just now getting back from what we call a study break. And each year, what I get to do is I have the privilege, I get to withdraw for just a few days and focus that time on prayer and planning and reading. And um, I get the, the privilege of just kind of praying and reflecting on what God is doing and, and also just get some time cut away, set aside to pray specifically for you, for where we are heading as a church. And these few days are so incredible, incredibly valuable. And uh, each year I get back and with no exception, this year is not an exception, um, I am just raring to go. It's the way it works. So I know some of you are still in July mode. I'm ready School started for me now, um, getting back from this, from this break. So I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. But um, I truly believe where the Lord is taking us as a church. And I truly believe where, in where we are, and it's right where we need to be. And, and I want to say this before we step into Ruth. Um, just one thing that the Lord has just really been pushing on me is that our God is both sovereign and good. That our God is both sovereign and he is good. Sovereign meaning that he holds all things together. Nothing is out of his hands. Nothing is out of his control. Nothing. He is sovereign over everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. And more than that, he is good. He is perfectly good, meaning not only is he sovereign over it all, but he works all things together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. This is truly incredible as we, as we think uh, about our God. It changes everything. He is sovereign and he is good. And because that is true, because he is both sovereign and good, who or what on earth or anywhere else do we have to fear. Our God is both sovereign and he is good. We have a great reason for hope, a great reason for hope. It's a great time to be a part of the people of God, to be a part of the church. So again, I want to thank you for giving me the privilege to take just a few days um, away on this study break. And um, I've joked about this, but I have quite a bit of pent up preaching energy. So if I come across a little giddy or moving a lot, forgive me. Um, Actually, I don't apologize. How incredible is it that we get to do this? So uh, with that being said, let's, um, let's come to the Lord. Let's pray for our time together in Ruth. We're going to be in chapter three. I'm going to do my best not to go further. I'm going to want to, but I'm not. We're going to be in, in Ruth three. So with that being said, would you come to the Lord with me and let's pray. Lord, we come to your word this morning, and what a joy it is to come to your word. 
regardless of what we have going on in our lives or what circumstances surround us, Lord, you have sovereignly ordained us to be right here in this moment. So I pray that you quiet our hearts and our minds as we come to Ruth 3 so that you can speak and that we can listen. Lord, you are sovereign and you are good. And you are sovereign and good in this moment. And we just thank you. Would you guide us and lead us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, before I get into it, I did want to, I would love to give you one of these. If you don't have one, um, on your way out, grab one. Um, so we're in Ruth right now. We're going to spend a few weeks uh, looking at the life and story of Joseph in Genesis coming up. But then as we get into the fall, we're going to drop into the book of Titus. And for those books that we're walking through, we are going to have the joy of giving this to you. What this is, is it's the book and it has a place for you to take notes, to journal, to write. If something challenges you, you can write it there. It's a joy to be able to give these. And so I just wanted to highlight this. If you don't have one, please grab one um, and take it with you. You don't even need to tell us, all right? There's some at the, at the back table and there's some, there's some outside. But um, listen, as we get to Ruth 3, one of my favorite things about Scripture as a whole like if you were to just take it um, as a whole, one of my favorite things about scripture is, is that when you zoom out at the big story, the big narrative of, of scripture, from creation to the garden, to the fall, to the cross, resurrection, return of Jesus, reigning king, all of it. If you were to just zoom out and go and just look at the whole thing, whole story you would not be able, you can't help but notice some things. And one of the things that I love that you have to notice when you look at scripture, this is the big story, um, is that there are things that are unexpected. Um, and what I mean by this is that if you were given the task to write the story, you would not have written it this way. We read it and we go, what? Um, it, that happens a lot as you read scripture. It is unexpected. It goes against kind of the, the expected script. Let me give you a few small examples. Let's think of all the people God chooses. From uh, Noah to Abraham, Jacob, Judah. I'll give you a good one, even King David. You read their life and you why is it so hard to find good guys in the Bible? Why is it so hard to read and go, oh, that one makes sense? It's really difficult. You read this and you think, like, that doesn't make sense. It's like if we were at recess as, at school and we were picking our dodgeball teams, the Lord is not really concerned with picking the best team. He's not really in the game of first-round draft picks. He's, that's, not, that's not what I see when I, when I look at this. If I would have scripted this, I would have done it differently. So would you. Let's think about another one. How about we think of the true hero of scripture, and that is Jesus Christ. So we think about Jesus, the king, Messiah, the one the world has been waiting for. We think about him. And how does he come? As a vulnerable, crying baby. What? In a small town in a 
manger, born to quote unquote nobodies. What? This is the one. And what about his life? Well, he didn't have an army, he didn't have territories, he had no palace, not even to mention his death. I mean, we're talking about the one that Colossians tells us that all things were created by him, through him, and for him. All things are held together by him, and this him is a baby born to nobodies and nowhere. What? This is crazy. We wouldn't have done this. Well, as we look at Ruth, can we just be honest? Like, as we look at Ruth, if we are being honest, we would not have written this this way. This is... Strange. As we're looking through this story, we have Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Um, we've worked through the first couple chapters already. We've talked about some of the history. We've talked about some of the th- things going on here. Uh, but I do think it's important as we get to chapter three to just call out and, and see how some of these things are just wild as this story unfolds between Boaz and Ruth. So, so far, we've talked a lot about Ruth. Okay, um, Ruth, about who she is. Ruth was a, she was a widow. Okay, so, so Ruth, her husband, she lost her husband. Because of that, she's extremely vulnerable in this culture, in this society. Vulnerable. Not only that, she was a foreigner. So this, this woman was not only a widow and a foreigner, but she, would, she was also, also the daughter-in-law. Let's talk about Naomi. Naomi was also a widow. She was also a foreigner, but it was worse than that because she was not only a widow foreigner, but she was an older widow and foreigner, which just makes it, all the more difficult and painful and makes her all the more vulnerable. She was older than Ruth. And more than that, she had lost both of her sons. Both of them. Which is just an absolute tragedy in and of itself. I can't imagine it. Um, But if you were to just zoom out from just the sheer tragedy of what just happened... This has massive financial implications for Naomi. There was no social security in these days. Well, there was. It was called children. And Naomi was incredibly vulnerable. Ruth was her daughter-in-law, and it's what makes Ruth's statement all the more radical in Ruth 1. When... when, uh, Sister-in-law Orpah says, I'm out. She leaves. Ruth says, you know, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God is going to be my God. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord do to me so and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. It's just incredible. Ruth says, I know you're vulnerable, but you're not alone. I'm with you. Um, I know that you lost your family, but I vow that I am your family. It's just incredibly powerful. That's Ruth. That's, this is who Ruth is. But now let's think of our man, Boaz. So yeah, Boaz. Um, who is he? 
You remember anything about our man Boaz? Do you remember the story of Jericho? In the book of Joshua, they storm around and that bring, God brings that city, those, those beautiful walls to the ground. Do you remember Jericho? If you think back before, the, before God does the miracle in Jericho, he, uh, uh, Joshua sends out spies to spy the land. Go, go see what we're up against, if you remember this. And when those spies go, they, they encounter a woman, uh, a prostitute there in the city of Jericho, and she takes them in. They stay with her. And, and then not only that, but this this girl, her name is Rahab. Rahab, if you remember, she, as the story unfolds, she puts her life on the line to save these spies. And, and she sees, she puts her life on the line to help God's people. If you remember in this incredible story, and as the story unfolds, and as the city of Jericho just falls, Rahab is spared Not only is she spared and allowed to go on her own way, but she is spared and then graciously brought into the people of God. You're going to be us. You're going to be one of us, Rahab. So she is spared. This foreigner, this outsider, gets brought into the camp of Israel and now becomes a part of the people of God. This is Rahab. And eventually, she, in God's sovereignty, meets a man named... Salmon, not salmon. That's a fish. Salmon uh, meets this, this man. They come together and they have a son. And guess what? That son, his name was Boaz. So Boaz, the son of a foreigner, the son of a woman who was brought into the people of God, the son of a woman who was at one time a prostitute, and Ruth, the vulnerable, the widow, what an unlikely story is beginning to develop here in this book. Just unbelievable. We have to see God's hand just all over this. And that sets us up for, for this chapter. As I said at the beginning, our God is both good and sovereign. Both sovereign and good. And Ruth's story is an incredible example of this because I don't care what your past looks like. I, I, I don't care what, who you are. I don't care about the pedigree that you bring to this table, the credentials you have. Our God is sovereign and good and his story is better than your script. As we get to chapter three, we just have to stop and realize like he exalts and uses the humble. He works through the timid. He calls the foreigner to come. This is our God, and this is the story of Ruth. And uh, Ruth chapter four is kind of the climax of the whole story. Ruth chapter three, if this were a movie, I'm sure it's been made into one. I haven't seen it yet, but um, Ruth chapter three is the turn. It's, it's the turn in this, in this story. And it begins, I'm just gonna walk through this, and there is, this is a sticky one, just so you know. Um, it begins, in verse one, where we get to see the plan that Naomi has 
proposed to Ruth, the, the game plan that she has given Ruth. And it was simple. <laughs> As we read, Boaz, he's going to be out working. He's going to be on the winnow, he's going to be winnowing on the threshing floor tonight, Ruth. Verse three, so wash yourself, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak. So we remember Ruth was a hard-working woman. Uh, full days work, manual labor. We read she took few breaks. Well, you know, hauling pounds of grain. Like this is what we see in, in Ruth so far. But Naomi says, here, girl, let's go take a shower. Let's, uh, let's clean yourself up. Put on some perfume. Anoint yourself, put on some good clothes, get presentable, do your hair, do your makeup, whatever they did back then. That's what was going on. And then go down, she says, to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man. We read this in verse three. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So Naomi knows that the best opportunity for this plan to succeed is when Boaz is full and satisfied um, hanger destroys the chances that this plan is going to work. So let him eat, let him drink. All right. So there it is. Sit back, wait a little bit. And then she says, when he lies down, verse four, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. What? And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. And as we will see, she does, in fact, do all that, all that Naomi says. So, so here's the obvious question. Let's stop. What on earth is going on here? What is this? Um, there is some really concerning and kind of sticky interpretations of this text um, that we need to be careful of. Because I'll just be honest, on the surface, this looks like a really, really sketchy situation. Here's what we see. We see a woman here uh, bathing, which was often done before an encounter with a man. We have her putting on perfume, once again, often done for an encounter with a man. We have her going out in the darkness of the night to the threshing floor. We have her waiting till he is nice and full and ready, then uncovering his feet. Many have read this and have said, now that's weird. This looks like a sexual advancement. This looks like Naomi telling Ruth to go and you fill in those blanks. Naomi's plan was a plan many have felt that just led to immorality. That's what was going on here. That's what some believe. And listen, as we read this, we have to acknowledge something. We are very far separated from the culture of this text. I mean, generations and customs and time. From our vantage point, I, I will be very honest. Reading this through Western eyes, San Antonio, Texas, 2019, as I read this. Yeah, that looks, that looks sketchy. I'm just going to be honest. This looks like a sexual advancement if I have ever seen one. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about it, but here's, here's the deal. When we come to Scripture, we have to do our best 
to read this scripture in its context. Um, when I was studying this this week, um, you know, I would always, if anyone said that Naomi's plan was a sexual advancement, I'd be like, no, wrong, this is the Bible. And, and obviously it wasn't that, God blessed it. And as I was studying it though, I wanted to come to it with, now what does the text say? What, what is the text saying? And to honestly just dig in. And, and as I was doing that, um, I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. We are here in San Antonio, Texas, 2019. We're not in the Middle East in the time of the judges. But, but here's the reality. One of the best ways for us to wrap our minds around interpreting this plan correctly, one of the best ways for us to interpret Ruth's actions and Naomi's plan is to see how their plan and her actions were interpreted by others in this text. Here's what I mean by that. How did Boaz interpret this little plan? That should be telling. That should be really telling. Because as I said, Ruth did it all. She, she cleaned up, went out, waited till after the feast, waited till he went to bed, went and uncovered his feet. Um, the plan was executed. And so let's look and see what happened. How did Boaz interpret this little thing? Let's see. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Yeah, that would be startle, startling. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? Fair question. What have you done to my, my feet are cold? Um, and she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Listen to this. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We're going to come back to that statement here in a bit. But let's listen to the way Boaz now interprets this whole situation. Let's listen to the way Boaz understands Ruth because this is key. Verse 10, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men, whether rich or poor. He's commending her for her faithfulness and kindness to Naomi. And now more than that, his, her kindness to him. And then listen to what he says, verse 11. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. How did Boaz interpret this plan? Did Boaz see this as a sexual advancement? Absolutely not. This text just does not support it. A, maybe a, a 2019 reading of this text might get us there, but this text itself does not support it. Here, in fact, he points her out as a worthy woman. That's not typically the title you give to someone who is doing the work of a prostitute in the middle of the night. It's just not. So what did Boaz, how did he understand Naomi and Ruth? Church, this was not a sexual advancement. This was a marriage proposal. This was a proposal for marriage she comes to him saying, you know, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he sees what she has done. He hears what she says and he says, I will do all that you ask. Well, what, what is she asking? She's asking him to redeem her in marriage, to bring her into his family. We, um, this vulnerable widow, this vulnerable foreigner here is putting it all 
all on the line here. We, in our culture, get down on a knee with a ring. You know what Ruth did? She bathed, put on some perfume, put on some nice clothes, went out and uncovered a dude's feet. It's weird, but that's a proposal. This was a, that it's the same gesture. And how do we know this? Because Boaz says yes. I mean, Boaz says, yes, what you are asking, I will do. Boaz says, yes, we know this is a proposal because Boaz says, yes. Well, not quite yes. As I said, this is not the end of the story, it's the turn. So, so as we look at verse 12 now, he says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. In other words, I, I say yes, I want to say yes. I want to do this. I want to be your husband. But legally, there is a relative closer to you than I am. And legally, in order to do this, you know, I I need to do this in the right way. So, Ruth, in this moment, just if you pause, for Ruth, this was a big moment. Because regardless, she, her plot in life has radically changed in this moment. She will be redeemed. Now, will it be with Boaz? Come back next week. But she's gonna be redeemed here. This is big. Her plot in life, her situation in life was about to change. And the question now is, will it be with Boaz? So Boaz says, you know what? Verse 13, remain tonight in the morning. If he, that is that closer relative, will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. You hear it? Um, Can I read to you the way I think it should be read? If he will redeem you, fine, I mean, whatever, good. I mean, let him do it. But if he will not, then the smile creeps on Boaz's face. Then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. That's how it should be read, just FYI. Um, Don't for a moment think that Boaz is neutral here. He's gone above and beyond for Ruth from day one. Above and beyond. So what's gonna happen? Well, when she wakes up, before anyone could recognize her, he encourages her, get out of here. Leave without a word. Um, But even in this moment, he provides for her again. Uh, This is bringing to me the garment you're wearing. Hold it out. Measured out six measures of barley. Put it on her. Um, and then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, I love this, uh, the question is, how did you fare? (laughs) That's awesome. It's that well moment. I've been waiting. Well, what what happened? Um, Then she told her all that the man had done. And she she said, hey, even these six measures of barley, he gave them to me. You can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. This is a this is a good move here by my man Boaz. Um, sending some goods to the mother-in-law. Um, well done. Then verse 18 says, well, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For, for the man, he's not gonna rest. But he's gonna settle the matter today. So see, Naomi knew, Naomi knew here, our man Boaz, he's not neutral. He's gonna get this thing settled. This is important to him. He's going to get this thing done. Now, I told you I'm going to want to go forward. I'm not. 
I'm stopping before we get into chapter four. We're going to have to wait, but I want to come back to a moment, uh, for a moment, to the way we started together. The simple statement, our God is both sovereign and he is good. As we just walk through this, um, as we consider Ruth, God's hand is just all over this. I want you to just think of a few things with me. Who better than Boaz to see Ruth? The foreigner, the woman who is vulnerable. Who better than Boaz to have compassion and love for her? Who better than Boaz, the son of Rahab? The son of Rahab who experienced some of the very same things. Who better than Boaz to see Ruth? Don't think for a minute that your God makes mistakes because he does not. He is sovereign. He has a plan and it is good. And who better than Ruth? Who better than Ruth? This woman showed so much incredible kindness to her mother, endures so much. And rather than becoming self-centered, self-focused, moping victim, Instead, she cares for Naomi, works to provide for Naomi. I mean, where would Naomi be without Ruth? We started by looking at a little bit of their family tree. As you notice, Naomi was alone. Where would she be? Who better than Ruth to go out on a limb with a crazy marriage proposal? I mean, you root for Ruth. We root for Ruth. Who better than Ruth? I mean, it may not have happened the way you scripted. You would have scripted. And in fact, as we get to chapter four, I guarantee this is not the way you would have scripted. It only gets more incredible. Only gets more incredible. It's not the way you, you would have scripted it, but our God is sovereign and he is good. His ways are higher and his ways are better. Praise God for that. It's a great moment for us to just stop and see here, just like this story, just like scripture as a whole, our lives are so often not what we script. And you think that sounds crazy because it's my life. Obviously, I can script my life. No, you can't. So much of what we go through is out of our control. So much of what we go through, we did not script. Now, yes, you do make decisions that will impact your life. Some for the good, some for the bad. You do make decisions. But wow, there are things that are going on in your life that are completely out of your control that will impact you. But our God is sovereign. And our God is good. You may be here like Ruth, looking around at your life, and you see a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. Like, I wouldn't have picked that. I didn't want this. I didn't choose this. Ruth didn't choose the situation she was given. But it was her situation. You may be here, and you didn't choose your situation, but it is your situation. In fact, you may be here and you might think, I don't deserve what I'm in right now. 
I don't deserve it. How could this be fair? And let Ruth now just be a reminder. Your God is sovereign. Your God is good, even when you don't see it. Now, wouldn't it be cool if we could just like this, like zoom out and see from God's perspective and see how this thing's gonna play out? Wouldn't that be cool? That's not real. That's not ours to see, and it's not faith. That, that's not what faith is. And I think it might even be important to, to expand this out a little more, make it a little more painful. Um, God is both sovereign and good. And at the same time, no offense to you, you are neither sovereign or good. So as you think about this, on the one hand, we must acknowledge that our God is sovereign in control and we are not. When I, say, when I say that, I mean there are things that are out of your control, yet there is nothing that is out of his. On the other hand, we need to just acknowledge the fact that our God is good always and forever, and you're not. You are not. There are things that we think that are good, but that are not. We are sinners, finite, flawed, yet at the same time, every single thing that he does is good, perfectly and completely good. As I read this, I mean, Ruth has every reason to pout and to play the victim all throughout the story. She has every reason to doubt the sovereignty of God. Look what following Yahweh had gotten her. My, my husband is gone Family's destroyed. Look what Yahweh has given me. Why not go back to the land I came from? Why not go back to where my foreign gods and the people that I came from? Look at what all this has gotten me anyway. Instead, what does she do? She stays. She commits herself to the Lord. She submits herself to the Lord. She did not have answers, but she trusted. She did not know what was going to happen through this crazy, weird plan of her mother-in-law, but she trusted the Lord. She trusted the Lord, and the Lord moved. And I want to encourage you this morning with this. Your God is both sovereign and good. Your God is sovereign, and he is good. You may be here and not have all the answers. You may be here, and you're right smack in the middle of a trial right now. You may be here and you may not have any idea of what decision you need to make. No clarity. You may be here, you may feel exhausted, tired, and lost. You may be here and you may be confused. You may be here and you are just realizing how true it is that so much of life is out of your control. And for control freaks, that stinks. You laugh because you know who you are. Um, I'm laughing with you. Um, let me encourage you this morning that our God is sovereign and he is good. He has a plan for you. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's weird, but we've been around for four years and I've never quoted this verse in a service. What's wrong with me? Um, I don't know. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, I know that contextually, this verse is written directly to the people of God who are exiles in the land. I get that. But you know what? This text shows us the heart of our God for his people. 
shows us the heart of our God for those who are in a trial. Shows us the heart of God for you, reveals his heart for you, so that we, like Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, we can know that for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And ultimately, church, this is fulfilled fully and completely in Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I mean this, because I don't know who you are, like, or what you're have going on. I might never have met you before, but I know that after this, I could look you in the eyes face to face, and I could say with complete and full confidence, regardless of what you are facing, it will all be worth it in Christ. No matter what you're going through, his plans for you are good. Doesn't mean they're wonderful right now, but they are good. No matter what, you have a glorious future and hope that no one and nothing can take away. To have Christ is to have everything. To have everything else apart from Christ is to have nothing. So I can look at you with complete confidence. Say, for those of you who are in Christ, his plans for you are good. They are for a hope. They are for a future. And no one and nothing can take that away from you ever, period. Our God is sovereign. He sent Christ to redeem you. Our God is good. And in Christ, whether in life or death, whether in sickness or in health, rich or poor, I sound like I'm doing a marriage thing right now, but you know what I mean. Regardless of any of it, we can know that Christ is truly good. Our God is sovereign and he is good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that is true. We thank you that you are sovereign over all things, that you have a plan, that it is good, that it is perfect. We thank you that we can know that Our life is just not left to chance. We thank you that we can know that our lives are not just a series of whoops and mistakes or good days and bad days, but that our lives are a part of your sovereign plan. And no matter what we face, no matter the trial, no matter the season, we know that your plans for us are ultimately for the good. We know that we have a hope, that we have a future, that no one and nothing can take away. So Lord, we praise you for that. And at the same time, we don't want to forget the simple fact that you are good. That you love us. That you sent Jesus into this world because you loved us. And that your great love for us was demonstrated while, that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are good. You are sovereign and you are good. And as we hold both of those things together, Lord, would you just fill our lungs, our hearts, our minds with confidence that we are yours.
Lord, for, for anyone here who does not yet know Jesus and for what I'm saying, as I say all these things, you might be here and thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't feel that. I don't know that. Um, Lord, I pray that right now in this moment that you would do a work in us. That you would impress upon our hearts the truth of Jeremiah 29, 11. And that you would show us that that is only true in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And because of Jesus, it is true. You have a plan and it is good. So Lord, would you just impress on our hearts right now that to have Christ is to have everything. And you are offering everything. And so Lord, we thank you. Would you continue to do a work in us in Jesus' name?